choosing a sexual battle of his life. You take it just a standard cookie cutter Christian, don't do this, don't do that, it won't work. It's going to really sweep through the church like a tsunami wave of destruction and family. I had wanted to find a jet aircraft since I was four years old. I wanted to be a fighter pilot. Okay. And so it was all I was living for. You don't think you're a hot track? You will last 10 seconds in combat. You know how to fly, but you don't know how to fight. You have to understand how the enemy is personally bushwhacking you. around their soul. And the harder they pull against it, the worse it gets. That's why trying harder doesn't work. You have to know your enemy if you're going to win. It's not just going to go away. Just the power of sexual violence. It promises you everything, gives you absolutely nothing. It's as if there's no hope you're ever getting out of this. But the shed blood of Jesus Christ guarantees there's a way out. curse will be visited the third or fourth generation. We will create trails in our brain that are just going to fire on an automatic sequence. You're fighting for the very lineage that God gave you. What a man does in life becomes history. Well, what he puts into motion becomes his legacy. And if you will break this curse, then your sons and your daughters have a better shot. Too many three and a half years. But I'll tell you now, you know what I'm having to enjoy? It's sweet revenge. The very thing the enemy used against me as a weapon, now God is forged by the hammer of his adversity that he's brought in my life, by the hammer of his challenges, by the correction of my soul, and he's forming into a weapon. I'm taking sweet revenge against the enemy. And that's what God has for you. Then there's a laying on of hands. We need to understand 
the basic principles of that. And then eternal judgment. We need to know about eternal judgment. We need to, that has to be part of our message. And then the resurrection of the dead. And the scripture says, let us go on if God permits. Well, I want to go on. How many of you want to go on? Well, God will permit it if you are, if you've got the foundation in place. Now, because of that series and because of some things that have come our way in our family, I wanted to share a few things first before I talk about something that's been in the news and also it's, the church has the answer to this. But remember 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The scripture says, Oh death, where is your sting? Remember that. Oh Hades or hell or the grave, where is your victory? I remember when my dad came to me, when his dad, my grandfather, died. He said, David, I don't know about that scripture about the sting. I don't know about that because it sure stings. And I agreed with him. It does. It stings. It stings for us when we lose a loved one. I mean, if you know that, it stings. There's a real sting. But the sting is removed from the one who died if they died in Christ Jesus. You see, the sting of, of the sting is sin. The sting of death is sin, the Bible says. And the sting is removed when you put your trust in the shed blood of Jesus and he becomes your Lord. And so people will either be loosed from that sting or they'll carry that sting all the way with them into eternity. And they'll be eternally stunned because they never came to the one who took the sting for them. Does that make sense? And then it says, oh, you know, death is swallowed up in victory. And the forgiveness of God is what removes the sting and then we know it's the resurrection. But you know, death is part of the journey. So I just want to, these things have been in my mind. And uh, so if they're in my mind, I'm just going to let her rip out of my mouth. You know what I mean? They've been in my heart too. But uh, so I'm going to share some things and remind us. We need to be reminded. We're not going to be here forever. You're not going to be sitting in that chair forever. You know, there's a lot of people, you can look around you, a lot of people didn't sit there very long. They're somewhere else. But you're here, and I'm here, and he's here, and you're watching. So we need to examine this just a moment. You know, Solomon, I think he was one of the wisest men that ever lived. Is that right? He said there's going to be a time to be born and a time to what? And a time to die. He went on to say that there's a day of death all men will face and the living will take it to heart. They'll remember that. They won't just cast it away. Well, it's always going to happen to somebody else because there's an eternity. And uh, we want to understand. In fact, doesn't Solomon say the day of one's death is actually better than his, than his birth? How can he say something like that? He can say something like that if you understand eternity. Eternity's value. And you know you're here for a test for a short time. But it's eternity that we're living for. That's how you can understand that. But anyway, just a few points about that. Christmas, I mean, I thought, well, this is a great message to preach right before Christmas on death. Are you kidding me? But anyway, I'm just preaching what he puts in my heart. I'm not, it's not my, you know, message number 552 that I pull out of the fire. I can't do that. If it's not in my heart, if it's not burning, I'm going home, let somebody else do it. But then we'll hear some things about death. Number one, it is a sure thing. Say it's a sure thing. 100% of everyone that's ever lived, except I know some of your things. What about Enoch? Enoch walked with God and he was not. Well, maybe you'll be like that. 
Elijah, you know, caught up under the chariot and all of this. But let's just say 99.9999999999% of the people that have ever lived have died. How many of you would agree? It's just going to be a sure thing. Hebrews says it is appointed man once to die. Have you ever been to the doctor and the doctor was late for your appointment? Anybody? You know, the doctor was late. You had somewhere to be. Then you became late because he was late. You know what I mean? Well, there's an appointment coming none of us are going to be late for. You're not going to be late for that appointment. It's appointed man once to die and then the judgment. Not only is it a sure thing, but it's going to be often a surprise. Even though we knew Shirley's mom was sick and been battling an illness. Are you ever really ready? You know, it's still, it's often a surprise, more than all. You don't always get the opportunity to say goodbye. How many of you had the chance to say goodbye to a loved one? Some of you, a lot of you did. But still, when it happened, it still was a surprise. You know, you can never be fully ready. But we got to be ready. Because it's going to be as a surprise. The psalmist said, listen to this. Now stay with me, don't go anywhere. You say, why didn't you come to hear about death? It's only part of the story. There's a lot of other side of the story. You, but you got to cover both sides. Psalm 90, teach us to number our days. Another version of that says, teach us to realize the brevity of life. How brief it is. Psalm 39, Lord, make me to know my end. And what is the measure of my days, that I may know how frail I am. Indeed, you have made my days as handbreadths, and my ages as nothing before you. Certainly every man in his best state is but vapor, and every man walks about like a shadow. You know, you try to catch a shadow, you can't do it. The shadow is here, it's gone. And then over in James, you remember the scripture, it says life is like a vapor. It appears for a little time, and then what happens? It vanishes a little. It's just compared to eternity. It's just a, a blimp on the screen. And then death comes suddenly. You ever thought about that one day could be your last heartbeat? It will be. There will be a day. If we could know it in advance, we could make a little better preparation here. You know what I mean? But there will be a day you will take your last heartbeat. It will be the last one that your heart will ever be. Ever. And it'll be over. And, uh, but then we have something to look forward to. You got to die before you get to get to be a part of the resurrection. How I many of you are looking forward to that? Death is swallowed up in victory. I'm getting a little ahead of myself. But for you to get into that victory, you're going to have to die. That's the way. It's a gate, a doorway into eternity. And then when death occurs, you used the word earlier, it's when we will, our stewardship will be demanded of us. It is appointed man once to die, and then what? The judgment. Now we know there's the great white throne judgment. I'm not going to be there. If you're in Jesus, you're under the blood, you won't be at the great white throne judgment. But there will be a judgment seat of, that you will be seated at. You probably won't be seated because he's the one that's seated. But it's the judgment seat of Christ. All of us will stand there. We'll give a, an account. For our deeds, the deeds done in the body, for how we live, our words. Did you know we're going to give an account for every idle word we're going to be judged for? Give an account our decisions. Did we do it our way? Did we do it God's way? 
I was thinking this week about that song. You guys have no idea what I'm talking about, but a man by the name of Frank Sinatra. He was even before my time, okay? I don't remember him either. He was not one of my favorites. You do? Okay, you're giving away your age. I wasn't a Frank Sinatra fan. I was Elvis and the Beatles and, you know, Grand Funk Railroad, stuff like that, you know. That, that was my day. But, you know, it, you never heard that group. That's the name of it. Oh, you heard of it. They were in South Africa. Yeah. But listen, Frank Sinatra said, and now the end is near, and so I'll face the final curtain. You know, there'll be a final curtain one day, and there'll be no curtain call. You won't get to come back on stage. Say, I gotta, I gotta get this applause again. You know, that's gonna happen. My friend, I'll say it clear. I'll state my case, of which I'm certain I did it my way. That's not a good testimony. That's not good. You don't want to say when you get there, I did it my way. No, you, I did it your way. I did it God's way. That'll be. You know, I heard, when we're doing this series on Thursday night, the man that's leading this, we, we borrowed it from the guys in New Zealand, Neville Johnson. He said that right before a person dies, and I, I've, I've known this, but he said it in a way that just made sense. He said, right before someone dies, it's like their whole world flashes before them. He said, it's going to be like a hologram. Your whole life, right quickly, in just a, a matter of a moment, your whole life. Because you know why? Because you're going to give an account for that when you stand before God. And then, when eternity, or when, when you die, it's, that, it's when eternity is settled. As we said, there will be no curtain call. Remember the scripture, Jesus in describing hell. He said, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. So he says, if what you're doing causes you to sin, if where you're going causes you to sin, if what you're seeing causes you to sin, get rid of it. It's better to enter into eternity maimed and lame with one eye than to be cast into hell fire where the fire is never quenched, where the worm dieth not. That uh, scripture I remember, you know, I, I told you before, you'll remember a handful of messages over your life. I mean, later on, you won't remember, you won't remember much at all what I said. During these brief times you're here, you'll remember a few things, and they'll stick with you all your life. And, and, and I just believe that's just the way it's going to be as well, but I remember a message where he was, a man was explaining that scripture where Jesus said, where the worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. He said it. He, now I, if you look at it literally, where the worm dieth not is rather grotesque, you know. But he said that it also could be the worm of a man's conscience. And when that man or woman dies, they're going to remember every time they had an opportunity to surrender and follow Jesus, but resisted him. They, they quench the Holy Spirit. And that's why the scripture says, in that day, the fire will not be quenched. You may have quenched the Holy Spirit when he came to you, but you'll not quench the fire in that day. And I'll never forget that message. And then the steam. That's when the steam will come into play. You can get rid of the steam. Forgiveness gets rid of the steam. Yeah, we're stunned when someone passes away. There's a period of grief. But you don't have to carry that stain with you to the grave. 
Jesus carried the sting, and then the death will be swallowed up in victory. It's the resurrection. Where there's no resurrection, there's no hope. But because there is a resurrection, there is great hope. Because he rose, we rise. How about that? Pretty good. I remember D.L. Moody. I don't remember him, but the story. <laughs> way before my time. Way before Frank Sinatra. But D.L. Moody said, one day you're going to hear that Moody is dead. He said, don't believe the word of it. Don't believe the word of it. That'll be the first day I begin to live. It's the day my life has just begun. And so it will be. It'll be the beginning. Now I wanted to share that because we need to be ready. You need to, there are no guarantees. I don't care. You can guarantee, I dare anybody stand up there. I guarantee you I'm going to be here this time tomorrow. I'm going to be on the earth. There ain't nobody going to be able to do that. It's not in your hands. It's appointed man wants to die. And we need to be right. We need to be ready. We need to make sure. I believe there are people watching. And there are people in this room. Before I get to the next part, it'll, I, it'll move on. I want to pray right now for the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And for people to be saved. I'm believing for a big harvest. One of the ways we cast these nets is through the internet. So let's cast the net. Is that a good plan? I'm believing for it. We're going to pray. And, uh, but if you want to know Jesus, you, first of all, the Holy Spirit has to be drawing you. You're not going to come to him just when you want to. You say, well, I'll tell you what. I'm going to live for myself. And then at the, right before I die, five minutes before I die, I'm going to say, Jesus, forgive me. Don't plan it. Don't. Don't plan it. That may happen. It may, but it probably won't. Because you're tempting God. You're foolish. And so you surrender to his conviction. You say, yes, God, I believe that you're the son of God. That you died on the cross. That you rose from the dead. And that I'm a sinner. And I confess my sin. And I acknowledge you in all of my ways. And he will forgive us. And then we must repent. What does repentance mean? Change your mind. First of all, you change your mind as to who you are and who God is. And that you can't make it. You're on a road to hell. And so my, I'm changing my mind. God, I need you. I need forgiveness. Your son is the son of God. And he died for me so that I could live. And then you receive by faith. It's almost too good to be true. It is. And then you get to be a part of that promise. Death is swallowed up in victory. Listen, death is no big deal when you're in Jesus. It's just the entrance to eternity. It's what you've been made for. You've been in this test pattern for 70, 80, 90, whatever years. Now you get to live for all of eternity in the presence of God. That's what, that's what death is. It's just a, a promotion, not a demotion. If you're in Christ. But if you don't know Jesus, I just want to lead us in a prayer. And I, man, listen, if you're right now, the Holy Spirit's moving in your heart, yield. I'm just telling you, yield to Him. This is not a man thing, it's a God thing. Let's all just bow our heads and just pray out loud. Those of you watching by the web stream, just say, Dear God, pray it out loud. Dear God, I need you. And I believe in Jesus that He is the Son of God. And he died and he rose from the dead. And I confess that I'm a sinner. I ask you to forgive me. And wash me clean. Thank you for the shed blood of Jesus. I confess my sin. And I repent. 
I changed my mind and I changed my direction, my course. And I turn to you. From this moment on, I will follow you as my Lord and Savior. I receive the salvation as a gift. And now I confess you as my Lord. And I will follow you the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, you need to come and let us know about it. If you deny him before men, you know what he does? He denies you before the Father in heaven. If you confess him before men, he will confess you before his Father in heaven. Let me do one more thing, then I'll get to this next subject. I want to challenge you. No, I'm going to wait. Because it will fit. The challenge will come right in the middle. We've heard a lot about, you know, the embassy. Now we've recognized Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. There are all kinds of opinions out there about them. You know them. You know, opinions are like horseshoes. You know. And I'm not saying I have the ultimate truth. But I do have one truth. Because it's in the Word. Recall not to preach somebody's opinion. I mean, if you know that. I can't preach my opinion. Now, we probably, it does bleed through because we're human flesh and blood. But the Word is what will not return for. We don't even preach our dreams and our experiences. We can tell people if it supports the Word, you know. If it doesn't conflict with the Word. But we need to understand that some people believe that it was a real prophetic, you know, mark, a blessing. And others believe that it was absolutely nonsense to do that. Others don't know what to believe. What does the Bible say? You know. Some people think it's going to bring war and unrest. It could do that. But it could do that regardless whether it was the right thing or not. Because if you seek to do God's will, you're going to bring a little war and unrest on yourself. Right? If you desire to live God, then you're going to suffer persecution. I mean, you found that to be true. If you just coasting through life, the devil, he already owns you. What's he going to do? Why is, why is he going to mess your life up? You're on a course to join him in hell. He's not going to do anything. But if you are combating the forces of darkness because of your life, you're living righteous, you're following Christ, you're leading people to salvation, then you can expect a little of hell along the way, right? Resistance. You need, we need resistance in this thing. If you're not being resistant, you should check. You need to check. How come I'm not being resistant here? I mean, if you know what I mean. We need resistance so we'll know we're on the course. When you have hard trouble, doesn't mean you've missed the path. You're probably on the path. Stay the course. Pray for grace. Trust God. We're an overcomer in this life. We're not those who are wimping by. You have to tell you, to live for Jesus in this day, you cannot be a wimp. Wimps will fall away when the first little bit of trouble begins to break out. But we're going to stand. Now, I want you to go to first or Second Peter chapter 3. Second Peter, if you have, hopefully you have your Bibles. I encourage you to always do that because you need to know what His Word says. And you need to test the things to see if they are so. You don't know. No man 
has the ultimate truth. God has the truth. And men can go haywire. <laughs> they can lose it. All of a sudden, you know, go from preaching truth to preaching false doctrine. It could happen. You should never trust in a man. You search the scriptures daily to see if those things are so. So, let's look at this. First Peter chapter 3. Let's follow along. And it won't take too long to get through this. But since I missed the last two weeks, I get to preach two messages anyway. And next week's going to be a different thing. It's going to be a family time. We're going to go downstairs and just have family time. And then after that family time, we're going to go back and be with Shirley's dad because he's all alone. And just to try to encourage him, be with him after that, be with him on Christmas Day. Christmas Day is Monday, right? Yeah, Monday. So we get to be with they. They were going to celebrate their 62nd anniversary just a couple days after her mother passed away. So we got to take him out on his anniversary. Real precious time. Anyway, 2 Peter chapter 3. Beloved, say I'm a beloved. You are, if you're in Jesus. Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder. There's some things we need to remember. We need to be reminded of. We are, we tend to forget the things that God tells us. I mean, if you know that's true. So we need to stir up our memory on the word and what his promises are. That's how we wage the good warfare, by the prophecies spoken over us. We don't just put them in a closet and shelve them. We, we remember. We stir those things up. We stir up the promises of God. God, you said this. And we believe Him. We enter by believing the promises. But He goes on. That you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles, of the Lord and Savior. Now, is that not what the church is built upon? You know, the prophets and the apostles, you know, the doctrine, the teachings that Jesus gave, you know, the prophets, the word, the apostles, knowing this, verse 3, knowing this first, say first, this is a foundation, really, first, that's regarding the end of the age, it is a first, knowing this first, that scoffers or mockers will come in the last days, and they will walk according to their own lust. How many of you know there's a difference in love and lust? Love waits. Lust demands. I want now. This is me. Lust is for me. Love is for others. And we're going to see love demonstrated. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And if we love, then we'll give. It's, a, it's, a, it's part of who we are. And they'll say, verse 4, where is the promise of his coming? You know, for since the fathers fell asleep, all things... Continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully forget. Now before I read that, is that not happening? People are saying, okay, you guys are saying this thing, these things are going to begin to happen. Everything's going on just like it's always been. Where is the promise of his coming? When's he, this promise that you said is coming again? But look in verse 5. For this they willfully forget that by the word of God, the heavens were of old. And the earth standing out of water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. Now, did that happen? In Noah's day, Noah preached righteousness 120 years. He preached it was going to rain. They didn't know what even that was 
And so they mocked him, they scoffed at him, and uh, they ridiculed him, and they resisted his call to come to God, to surrender. And so it just gives us an example here. And then he goes on, verse 7, But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, now you, I don't want you to miss this, the same word, was the word given through Noah that God would destroy the world with a flood. Did it happen? All right? God fulfilled the word, the promise that Noah spoke. Okay, then it goes on. But beloved, do not forget, let me back up. But the heavens and the earth which are now preserved by the same word are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. So do you see the connection? He says, just like it came to pass in the days of Noah, so shall it be at the coming of the Son of Man. Noah said it was going to flood. God was going to judge the world with a flood. That word, the same word that God says, now I'm going to destroy the world with fire, is the same promise that was spoken to Noah. If it happened in Noah's day, it's going to happen in your day. But this time, but by fire, it's reserved in heaven. It goes on. And this will be the day of destruction of ungodly men. I see some of these people on TV boasting in their pride and their arrogance. God's not only uncovering things, He's uncovering things so they'll repent and turn to Him while there's time. But He goes on, but beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as is a day. In other words, what is God waiting for? What's God waiting for? To destroy the earth, the day of destruction of ungodly men. I, let me show you what he's waiting for. Yes. Two things. Look over in uh, 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. And verse 18. Here's what he's waiting for. This is a really amazing when you see this. It was amazing to me because I know what God told me to do. But look at this. For Christ also suffered once for sin, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. Verse 19, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long-suffering waited. God is a God of long-suffering. He waited. He waited in the days of Noah. What was he waiting for? Waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, say a few, that is, eight souls out of all the world were saved through water. And there's also an antitype, and he ties it into today, that we are saved through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the only way. The only way of salvation is to go through the cross, to confess our sin and acknowledge him, trust him, follow him. And as he was raised, so shall we be also raised from the dead. So what's the first thing is he waiting for? He's waiting for the ark to be completed. I think I know a little bit about what that is. It, yeah, there are places God is going to preserve and he's working on that. But most of all, the ark is salvation. He's casting the net. Because I'll show you the next thing. Go back to the text now. Here's the next thing he's waiting for. It says the Lord is not slack. But long suffering, not, verse 9, not willing that what? Any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 
And so it's God's will that no one perish. So this is why he's charging the church in this hour with a new anointing, giving us understanding that we're living as of in the days of Noah, so that we will call people into the ark. It's God's will that no one should perish, but that all come to repentance. But the problem is not everybody's going to surrender to his will. That'll be the mark of demarcation. That'll be the line that's drawn in the sand. There'll be people that say, I'm not going your way. I did it my own way. And then there'll be others who say, Lord, nevertheless, not my way, but thy will be done. You know, I was thinking about this. Now I can challenge you with this. In the midst of this message, okay? I was challenged to do this again. I remember D.L. Newton. It's another story about him. He, would, he made a promise to God that he would share his faith every day. That'd be a good promise, would our good commitment. Share your faith every day with somebody. So he made that commitment to God. One night, he forgot. He went to bed. The Holy Spirit reminded him. And he thought, his first thought was, it's too late. Nobody's out on the streets tonight. It's too late. You know, it's better to close your eye and roll over. And pretend it wasn't God. And you know what I'm saying? Never done that. You, you know, that's not, that's not God. That's my flesh. No, it is your flesh. Resist it. But anyway, D.L. Moody got up, put his clothes on, went to the door of his house, started raining, pouring. He said, God, now I know. Not only is it late, nobody's going to be out at this time of the night. But he opened the door just to look, and a man with a, carrying an umbrella was walking down the street. And so Diamuni darted out, got under the man's umbrella, said, can I share your shelter, sir? Yeah. He, he said, can I tell you, now that you're sharing with me, can I tell you about a shelter, an eternal shelter, one who loves you, who will forgive you of all your sin, and you can be sheltered for all eternity? And he shared his faith. God brought that, that story back to my memory this week, because I want to do it again. There was a time I would do it every day. I would share. I, I would do the same thing. I just want to do it again. If you want to join me, you can jump in. But I'm telling you, there'll be a reward. And here, I'm going to kickstart you this morning. How do you do it? When you go out this morning, there's a little card on the back table. It says, give Christ charge of your life. It looks like a master card. Don't only, only take what you're going to use. Take two or three. Try it this week. All right, you're in a... You're at a gas station. You're in Walmart. You're somewhere. You know, just when the Holy Spirit zeroes in on someone, just go. Say, hey, listen, it's Christmas time. Can I help you pay for your gifts? Well, they didn't actually want to help you pay for it. But it is about the greatest gift God paid for you. And if you don't want to leave that, that's just the way I lead. You lead your own. You could just say, hey, I want to give you a MasterCard. Read it. Read it, buddy. You, you can do that. That ain't going to work. You know, you leave it in the toilet stall. You know what I mean? You leave it there. That doesn't work. Most of the time I see those things, I say, well, who left that? Besides, never yeah, well, I'm not going to go there. But if they leave it there, it's going to get messed up. But anyway, you know, something, forget it. Let me get back on course. But anyway, just say, hey, you know, it's Christmas. Everybody's going to listen to you during Christmas. They're not going to run you off. Just say, listen, God, let me give you this call. The master, God, gave the greatest gift. <laughs> if you've not received that gift, this Christmas, my friend, would you receive him? He loves you. 
Listen, it may be their last chance. It's harvest time, folks. We've been talking about it a long time. Harvest is not coming four months from now. It's now. So anyway, just a little kickstart. Pick two or three of them up. Next week, you can tell me what happened, right? Then we'll have more. You pick some more next week. Don't take a whole bunch. But two or three. Everybody can do it one time. You say, I'm afraid. What do you mean you're afraid? The same spirit that raised Jesus' dead body from the grave lives inside of you, and you're afraid? He gave his life for you, and you're afraid? No, you're not afraid. I rebuke that fear in the name of Jesus. You're not afraid. You got faith, so give Christ charge. You guys want one online? Some people are probably watching. Say, man, how do I get some of those cards? You email us, I'll send you a whole bucket full of them. I'll find them. I found where they make them. They're very cheap. They're like three cents a piece. So you just call me. You figure it out. We'll get them to you. So anyway. All right. What's God waiting for? This is what I want to get to. Look with me, if you would, to, um, oh, one more thing I forgot to tell you. Remember we were going to set a soul goal? I mean, do you remember that? We were challenged to set a soul goal. We, we added up that scripture in the Peter and then also in Timothy, that it's, it's, it, you know, or in Peter, that's not God's relationship. We added up the verses. We came up with 1,753. Now, I know that's a very small total. But that's our goal for 2018. Are you guys willing to accept the goal? I mean, 1,700. If he can't say 1,753, listen, that's a small goal. I'm believing actually for way more than that. We got a man laying over here in the side of this, in the dirt, his bones, that God showed him a billion souls. So 1,753 is nothing, but I'm just going to encourage you. Let's go for it. Everybody in agreement? Say amen. amen. Bring them, Lord. Yes, bring them. All right, I want you to go to Revelation chapter 21. Oh, by the way, one more thing. I cannot forget this. Back to my mind has been everywhere. Second Peter, you can't forget this. Verse 10. After we just read all we read, if we left out verse 10, we would be missing something very important. You say, well, okay. The earth is going to be burned up. Well, look in verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come. It will come. It will come. How? As a thief in the night. As a thief, you won't be looking. In which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. How many of you read Saul? <coughs> Is that in the Bible? Yes. Is it in the New Testament? Yes. It is. And you can go on. Someday we'll come back here. There's so much in that chapter about living in this hour and how we're to live our lives. But Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. Everybody still with me? Because yes. we got to talk about the new Jerusalem. The old Jerusalem is really prophetic, possibly... You know, but how many of you know there's the natural and then there's the spirit? That comes in the natural as a sign of a greater spiritual reality. How many of you want to live in reality or you want to live in the shadows? I want to live in reality. I'm not saying there's not going to be all this stuff they say. I don't know about that. 
But I know what God said in His Word. And I want to show you there's something greater coming. Revelation chapter 21. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had done had what? Passed away. That's what we just read over in 2 Peter. The same word that God spoke through Noah. He's speaking again. I'm going to destroy the earth. Yet this time as through fire. The day of destruction and perdition of ungodly men. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Now, here's some things about the new Jerusalem. And again, the prophetic thing in the natural. I'm all for that, but I'm looking for something that's going to endure forever. When the earth burns up, there will be no more Jerusalem in Israel. I mean, if you know that. There'll be no more Washington, D.C. and Maryland. There'll be no more Baton Rouge in Louisiana. It ain't going to happen. There'll be none of this stuff. Okay, so we got to have something a little bit more eternal. We have to live with eternity's values in view. Not just the world. Not just the natural. The natural is a sign pointing to. Okay, here's some things about the New Jerusalem. Number one in verse one, the New Jerusalem is new. It's not the old. It's the new. You see the word new three times in verse 1. The new heaven, a new earth. You passed away, made all things. I saw new. Maybe it's in verse 1 and verse 2. But there are three times the word new is used. New. New. How I many of you want to see the new? All right. Secondly, the new Jerusalem will only come after the day of the Lord. How do you know that? We just read it in 2 Peter chapter 3. Then the heavens and the earth. Then I saw when all things, a new heaven and a new earth. And it says over in the other where righteousness will dwell. And so we're looking for that. And it comes after the day of the Lord. Let me insert this real quick. You guys still with me? Everybody's still on the same page? I remember I was going to watch my son in a baseball game. He's here today, but I was going to watch it. He was, I didn't know if he was going to pitch that day or not. It didn't matter. If he was on the field, I was going to be there. You know, that's just the way of following. In those days, I could do that. I could just able to go. So I'm on my way to his baseball game, college baseball game. And the Lord asked me a question. I'm bragging. I'm not thinking about anything spiritual. I'm thinking about if he gets up on the mound, God help him. Help him, Lord. You know, it's the only way God says what day is it? What day is it? It's like my first thought was, God, don't you have a calendar in heaven? <laughs> it's Wednesday. It's Wednesday. I remember clearly it's Wednesday. And then it dawned on me, wait a minute. God's not asking me because he doesn't know what day it is. He's asking me not for information for me, but for revelation. 
He, he's got something he wants to tell me, so I asked him, okay, God, what day is it? And I'm telling you, I heard this in my spirit. As clear as I've heard anything, he said, it is the day of the Lord. Don't you forget it. Now, I know there are a lot of questions about that. But one day is a thousand years. There's some things Second Peter says are too hard to understand. You know that's in chapter two, that chapter three. There's some things too hard to understand when you read it later. There's something I don't. Only God can give us understanding. But I know here's what the Lord. First of all, He wanted me to know that it's His day, not man's day. It's His day. And secondly, it's it's your day if you accept it. It's my day. It's your day. This is the day we're made for. But then also, it is. The day of the Lord will surely come. And then the next thing is, the new Jerusalem is holy. It's a holy city. God is exposing, uncovering the sins of many so that they might repent and know the goodness of God. The goodness of God leads to repentance. Let me show you. Look in verse 7 and verse 8 of uh, chapter 21, Revelation. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. And I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake of, which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And then look at verse 27. But there shall be no means enter it, the new Jerusalem, basically. Nothing shall enter it that defiles or causes an abomination or what? Or a lie. I wonder why he keeps emphasizing lies. Because there's a lot of them. And there's going to be on the earth at the end of the age. Some of the biggest walkers in all of history are going to be told from some that we put our trust in. Lies. That's why the Lord said, take heed that no one deceive you. Take heed. That's the first thing when they ask him, Lord, when's the end of the age? Take heed that no one deceive you. Or possible even the elect could be saved. So a lie. They're not going to be there. Only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. And that's why we got to get as many people in the Lamb's book of life in this hour as we possibly can. I saw that book in a dream many years ago. It's a big book. Thank God it's a big book. It holds a lot of names. But if you think about how many people have lived from all of you know, the beginning until now, there's a lot of people. So we got to fill the book. And then next, it's a city. It's a city. Remember what Abraham was looking for. Abraham was looking for a city. He wasn't looking for a natural city. He was looking for a city whose builder and maker was God. How many of you know that? You guys got quiet. I don't know why you got quiet. But this is by faith. Hebrews, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. God is calling people today, gathering them together that are in, they're going to receive the same promise, the promise of a new Jerusalem. Okay. Oh, I don't know if you guys have seen it like I am. But God's gathering his people. But let me, let me tell you this one. I knew I was to speak on this. This week I'm at Zagby's eating. That day I was eating the salad. I did not eat the french fries that day. I was eating the salad. 
And maybe God rewarded me because this guy that works there came to sit with me. And so I'm talking to him. He's a friend, you know. And I don't tell him when I'm speaking on him, but he's, no, I do. That's how it happened. I said, I'm going to talk about the New Jerusalem this week. He said, I saw the New Jerusalem in a dream. That you're kidding me. Tell me what it, what it would look like. Tell me about it. He says he was dreaming and he saw the city glorious, gold. He said he could not describe his hands. He said he raised his hands in the bed. His wife woke up and saw him raising his hands. And he was just, he was beside himself. He said, I know there's a word, all. What I saw was way beyond all. You could not describe it. So anyway, his wife said, what did you see? What did you see? She, he said, I saw the new Jerusalem in a dream. So she ran and got a picture of somebody that painted a picture of the new Jerusalem. Or what they thought it would look like. So she holds it up to him. Says, does it look like this? He looked at it. He said, that was made by man. What I saw was made by God. Tell him. I don't know if you can describe it. It's made by God. And then in verse 2, let's go back. Then I, I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It comes out of heaven, prepared by God himself. God is preparing the city, and the bride is preparing herself. The bride is making herself ready. Boy, I, I can never forget. I, I, I include Shirley a lot in these messages because we're family. You guys on the internet, this is the way it is. We're family. You know, I just tell you about it. But I'll never forget the day she walked down the aisle in that flowing white dress with a veil over her face. Why'd you have a veil over your face? Oh, you had to. I said, you had to take it off when you got there. I would have married you with the veil off here, but it didn't matter. Here's the flowing white dress. I'm telling you, God is not coming for a bride in bed with the world. He's coming for a bride who's made herself ready. Ready through the fires of purification. Fires of purification are not bad fires. He said, I counsel to you, buy from me gold refined in the fire. It's the best counsel you could receive or you could yield to. But anyway, and then look in verse 3. This come in a loud voice. I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them, and they will be his God. In other words, it will be the final feast of tabernacles. It will be a celebration such as you've never known before. God dwelling. I know he's dwelling with us now here. I understand that. But I'm telling you, there's an ultimate feast of tabernacles that's about to be celebrated. Amen. Now, this is a good one. You guys with me? For a few more minutes. And God, look at verse 4. Here's something else about the new Jerusalem. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Thank God. There, it goes on. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain. How many of you are in agreement? That'd be a good thing. No more pain. For the former things have passed away. For behold, I make all things new. Now, what does that mean to us simple folks? If there's going to be no more death, no more pain, no more sorrow, what does that mean? That means right now there's going to be some pain. There's going to be some crying. There's going to be some sorrow. There's going to be some death. Remember, it's the last enemy to be defeated. But it's defeated. The sting is taken out in advance. Jesus robbed the devil of the power of death. 
We've been freed from the fear of death through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is an amazing thing. But in other words, the new Jerusalem will be about no more. No more death. No more pain. I'm in favor of that. I mean, if you want the new one. You go over to the one over in Israel, there's still going to be death, there's still going to be sorrow, there's still going to be pain. It's all around there. But not in the new one. That's where my hope is. It's in the new one. Some of you are still a little bit quiet. I don't know you're trying to figure all this out. But you know, one more thing about death. You'll either die of old age, or you die by an accident, some crazy drunk getting in your way, a martyr. You'll be a martyr. How many of you wouldn't mind being a martyr? How many of you have been told you would be a martyr? I'm telling you, some people have. They'd be a martyr. Did you know there's going to come a day where the martyrs are going to shout out for justice? They're saying, avenge our blood. And the Lord will say, no, not yet. Until the number of the martyrs on the earth are killed. It's completed. The number is completed. I personally think we're right around the corner. I think it's right now. And then there's, you know, the Bible does say there's a sickness unto death talks about that. Nobody wants to admit it. Yet I believe what the Bible says. There is a sickness unto death. Now we pray that God heals. If he doesn't, we trust him. But there's all kinds of definitions in the Bible. And then verse 7 and the problem is most of us have gotten away from the scriptures. Much of the American church has departed to a feel me good gospel. Bless me. Feel good Make me great, make me glorious, all this stuff. It has nothing to do with you. God's going to show America it has nothing to do with you. Except I died for you and there is a glory when you're in me. When you're in me, you're going to find there's a whole lot it has to do with you. Because you're loved, you're the beloved. And then verse 7, he who overcomes. The new Jerusalem will be... Where, a lot of, where the overcomers will gather with the saints of every generation. I'll just put it down. The verse 7 means inherit. The word inherit means I will give him all things. It's going to be a place of inheritance. And then chapter, or number 10, look at chapter 3 real quick. Revelation 3. Everybody's still here. Revelation chapter 3, verse 7. you got to see there's only about two more points. <laughs> Maybe three. No, only two. But he talks about the faithful church. And in verse uh, 13, he talks, Behold, I'm coming quickly. Verse 11, hold fast what you have. He who overcomes, verse 12, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. And he shall go out no more, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, new, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from God. That's the one. And I will write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so he's going to write on us the name of the new Jerusalem. I often pray, God, write your name over us. When I look at that scripture, I know why. God's prompted me to pray that because he's getting us ready. He's doing it. And then back to Revelation 21. As we wrap this up, look in verse... I won't read it all. You need to, how many of you will read it later? 
you need to read all about the new Jerusalem. Verse 9 through verse 21 talks about the glories of all the, the stones and the emeralds and, and it's incredible, the wall, the length, the breadth, the height, and what the city is made of. But then in verse 22 is how he said, But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb were its temple. The city had no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. And so the new Jerusalem will be filled with the glory of God, which is the Lamb of God. Jesus is the glory of the Father. We're looking for the glory. The glory is Jesus. He is all the glory. It's all wrapped up in Jesus. Yes, He's the light of the world. That's why there's more light in here this morning. The more He comes, the more the light comes. In the midst of darkness, the light of the world has come. We've got to keep our eyes fixed on eternity. And then go back now to the, the final Revelation 21, verse 24 through verse 27. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light. And the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Its gate shall not be shut all the day. In other words, the new Jerusalem is where the nations that are saved and all of those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life are going to gather as one big inheritance for the glory of God. That's the new Jerusalem. Amen. And I have a feeling I haven't I said anything about what it's really like. Because I believe that most of the revelation is going to be when we, when we see it. It's like my friend. That was made by me. That was, that's the way you explain it. Yeah, that's the way you... Listen, you can't explain what I just saw. You know what I mean? Oh, it's not even a word what I see. One look at that city. And that's what we're living for. But we got to make sure we're in the city. Amen. And our lamb, our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Amen. Now I was not in any way criticizing Jerusalem over there. We want to see what all God's doing as a prophetic. We'll watch and see what God does that points to the reality of what is coming out of heaven. Amen. You got that. Nobody's disappointed. You're excited. You should. And we already had the invitation. If you got to get saved now, it's too late. No, it's not too late. It's not too late. You can still, you can jump on, you can know him. He's getting you ready. So I just want to speak a blessing. Let's stand.